Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm Danny V, podcast host and children's author. I also do some work in publishing in acquisitions and publicity. As we hurdle towards one million plays, we'll continue to provide you with the conversational, vulnerable, honest and fun chats with your favourite authors across all genres. Check out our takeover episodes, usually released on a Friday, and our spin-offs released during the month. Thank you for being here, being part of the journey, and supporting Aussie creatives. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today, I welcome Alan C. Jones, author of the novel Her Death Was Also Water, a book of poetry, Son of a Cult, and the book we'll talk about today, a collection of short stories, Big Weird Lonely Hearts. Alan is currently Associate Professor of Literature and Culture at the University of Stavanger, Norway. All the way from Norway, welcome, Alan. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm I'm doing great. It's it's 9 a.m. here in the morning, which is a good time for me. I'm finally awake. So uh, yeah, so it's great to be uh, down under uh, digitally. Absolutely. I love speaking to people from uh, different places. I think it's very interesting. Now, Big Weird Lonely Hearts has been described as an exquisite collection of short stories, an unpredictable but entertaining examination of absurd human life. And absurd, it definitely is. So hit us with an elevator pitch, Alan. Okay, and and be, before I, I I do this, and, and thank you for warning me, there'd be an elevator pitch. This is my very very first event. I'm I'm going to Australia Monday, and so I'm I'm desperately trying to get all my uh, other life work blah blah things, selling this apartment that I'm sitting in, um, done before I go. So this is my very first event. Wow. So <laughs> we can see how it goes. It'll probably be terrible, but uh, I'll get, <laughs> well, um, if you start with low year. expectations for the listeners, yeah. when it becomes a really good interview, people are like, oh. Great. So, you know, I'll, I'll work with yeah, that. Funny. Last uh, last year, I came to Australia for my first book, which was very exciting, knew nothing. And by the end of it, I was I was so slick. I had all my little stories. <laughs> it actually got boring. I, I was telling the same stories over, over and over again. You tend to do that, cool. don't you? You get these safe stories that you think are amusing and you keep telling them like, oh, I need some new yeah. stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By the end, when I would do a little pitch at a bookstore, I would throw in some curveballs and just mess up on purpose because it was... <laughs> <laughs> I'm too obvious. Anyway, but here we go. Yeah. So an elevator pitch. So I'm stepping into the elevator. I'm looking for my floor. Okay. So, um, so I think the first thing I, I would want to say about this book, it's hard. I think before it's hard because books of short stories are harder than novels. I yeah, think to sure. sell pitch because there's a bunch of different characters, a bunch of different stories. And I think that in fact, people love short stories and, and maybe would even buy them more than novels, but it's hard to, in a short little pitch, say, here's the one thing it's about. Cause you've got 20 different characters. But saying that, so the first thing I think I'll say is that the book is funny. Uh, and for me, that is an accomplishment. I definitely did not set out to write a funny book. Uh, I wrote out, set out to write a book about loneliness and love in some ways. Um, and the, the characters ended up being so absurd and being pushed so far that it became hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I would watch the things and be like, wow, you're really going to do that. Uh, okay, <laughs> go ahead and do that. And, uh, and I think there's for me, there's very few books I read where I actually burst out laughing at any point in the book. And I think there are a few moments in this book where that happens. So I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, the humor comes from uh, characters, pretty much all the stories, characters who are driven by big, weird, lonely hearts. So these are very big hearts. Uh, they love extremely. They desire. They wish to hold on to love, to trap it even, uh, to, to cage it maybe even. But they're also weird. Uh, they're, they're they're too much. They're strange. Um and their longing is so extreme that they become absurd. So uh, at the same time that this is a funny book, 
these absurd characters who are really, really looking for love, trying to trap love. Um, the use for me, I think that what makes this book interesting is that the use of the comic and the absurd um, allows the book to open up the reader to deal with some more difficult issues. So under the surface of these sort of wild tales about people who are mistaken for bushes or mermaids who show up in Norway, um, there's actually an underlying discussion of things like environmental degradation or species extinction, gender dynamics, uh, social conformity, class, these things that are really heavy. Uh, and what I've tried to do in the book is a lot of times when we face these issues, like there's there's an argument that humans are bad. It's a pretty good argument. Uh, so, you know, so, we, mm. <laughs> we mistreat the world. We, we kill animals. We, we, we cage animals, et cetera, et cetera. But in this book, I've tried to take an argument like that, which if it's very simple like that in black and white, well, I'm a human. So I, so what do I do with that? Um, so, uh, and that, I guess my pitch is getting kind of long, but there's one story, uh, Mr. Bird and the Big Meow, where the person who makes that critique that humans are bad is a bird. Uh, and this bird has figured out he can read and write. Uh, and he makes this very sort of clear-eyed critique of humans, but he's only doing it because he's a terrible husband. He doesn't help out his wife. Uh, and his community thinks he's super lame because he basically doesn't help them. He just goes around saying, I'm a genius, I can read. So his basic goal in doing this critique is to show off, to say, hey, look at me, I'm actually a genius. So the book uses humor and perspective to critique sort of simplified arguments about these things. The arguments aren't wrong. I mean, we know humans are bad, but but we're humans. So not so all we bad. Not all. We're not <laughs> all of us aren't all bad, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I'm exaggerating you know, a little bit. <laughs> the way of the book exaggerates like this. But okay, that's a whew, okay. Yeah, a little bit long. At, we're at floor three hundred and twelve, but that's okay. Yeah. It's totally yeah, fine. It's a big building. I'm not afraid of heights. Um, it kind of had for me, I don't know if this is where, you know, it came from for you, but it kind of had a bit of Kafka sort of influence for me, you know, like the man who wakes up as a cockroach, that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did yeah, I, it's, um, I hadn't actually made that connection <laughs> myself, but I do Let's love Let's make it now. Let's make the connection now. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a good one because I used to teach the metamorphosis mm. and, and realized teaching it which i hadn't realized as a student being forced to read it is that it's terribly funny it i mean it's sad yeah, but yeah it's funny it's sort of ridiculous you're sort of like oh wait a second this guy's being funny in his own you know sort of way really dark uh, and way yeah. Love, yeah i think that's why i love kafka more than i love dostoevsky in fact mm. i don't think i love dostoevsky. I <laughs> in respect. fact i've just had a revelation <laughs> <laughs> yeah no. kafka, no. he just uh well, yeah, and I think that was the beauty of, of your short stories and of the metamorphosis, which I've actually taught as well when I was an English teacher, but to high school kids. Um, yeah. and I, that's what I really found that you are, it, it almost makes dealing with those really hard things a little bit easier because you're managing this ridiculousness, you know, that ridiculousness of waking up as you know, a cockroach um, or some kind of insect it kind of that takes the pressure off, I guess, of the really serious issues underneath. And so I felt that way when reading your stories. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like I don't like the word allegory so much because it just sounds so heavy and like I'm trying to be Dante. <laughs> but to, it would allow these sort of metaphorical things to come to the fore and say, well, obviously, this isn't a story about a dog and a cat. Like, yes, a dog and a mm. cat fall in love. This cat, you know, plays the stock market, you know, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so it gives you this very obvious, hey, reader there's interesting, fun things going on, pay attention uh, without being heavy about them. Mm, it's an interesting way to read though, I think. You, I think your brain is operating multiple layers when you read something like that. So I, I like that. 
I, I love the metamorphosis. I don't know how the uh, year 12 students felt about it when I was teaching it. <laughs> They're like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I want to go back very, very, very back to the front of the book. Um, before we start the story, and I just wanted to mention it, um, there's a quote you have in there by Margaret Atwood, which never fails to just catch me in my throat. Um, men are afraid women will laugh at them. Women are afraid that men will kill them. It's such a powerful quote. It's so relevant. Um, you know, I don't know if you're up to date in the news in Australia, but 57 women this year have been uh, killed by men that they know. And I'm assuming that number is possibly going to grow and continue to do so. Why did you include that quote at the beginning of this book? Yeah, and I, I hadn't heard that news. Uh, I'm up on the Norwegian news, uh, but not so much on the Australian news. Yeah, and I, I went back and forth uh, with that quote because it is such a strong quote and it is uh, it is heavy, I think. And I think the other, so like the opening, the opening epigraph, I think for my mother, um, does comments on gender dynamics in a, in a much <laughs> funny way. And I did hear that with her. I, I don't know if, I should, if I'm allowed to say it out loud. Go for uh, it. <laughs> yeah. So, so my mom would always do this thing. I was raised by sort of radical in a, in a, in a feminist community, basically run by a woman. And uh, my mom was very sort of strong in her opinions. And she used to say this thing half as humor, but also as commentary, which is sort of what I'm doing. And she would say, um, uh, oh, now I'm going to mess it up. I should look, I should, I think I have that. I think I have it right here. Let me read it because I'm going to mess it up. But I don't want to, it's uh, so, so then this becomes before the Atwood one. So I was hoping to sort of, anyway, so she said, your father can't find anything in the kitchen. His penis always gets in the way. <laughs> uh, and I, I asked her, I said, Mom, I said, I know this is funny, but it says you. Do you mind if I put this in here? Uh, she, and she did. She just thought it was funny. She thought, okay, yeah, go ahead and do it. It is funny. I had to read it a couple of times, actually. I was like, yeah, this is good. <laughs> my dad would just, you know. Uh, and it's funny because my dad actually raised us and, and whatnot. It's a complicated thing, but it's a way of humorously also saying like, you know, men are like this, but I'm being funny saying it and going over the top. Yeah. So then, yeah, the Alan quote, which is really heavy, in some ways I included it because it because it spoke topically to me in terms of this sort of balance between humor and being funny and then this really serious element. And in these stories, and some of them in particular do deal with female characters. The first one, for example, isn't really funny at all. It's 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 sort of more, and it was written in nine, uh, 2009. It's an oldest story in here. Um, and it deals with sort of a pers from the perspective of a girl trying to escape a, a world that's sort of run by men. Um, and so I was sort of trying to get a quote that would deal with that idea of there's humor here, but there also is seriousness. And in some of these stories, you know, th there is much more seriousness. And some of the dog and cat, some of the stories are much lighter. Um, so yeah, so I went back and forth because it is like a, whoa, is this, you know, what's this book about? It's pretty heavy. And so I tried to sandwich it in the quote from my mother and then the quote from Russell Edson which is also, uh, it's a short piece about a couple who are arguing, but uses the absurd body of an ape on the table, a naked ape, which then arguing about, uh, and it reflects their sort of marital stress, or their, their domestic stress, but in a funny, uh, absurd sort of way. So that's, mm -hmm. how, that's how it got in there. And I did, mm -hmm. as you say, and I, I see it st stood out to you, I did, I did go back and forth on it because it is, it is, uh, it's, it's a heavy one. It uh, is. Raises and I've, I've read it before a number of times, but still every time I read it, it just does something <laughs> to my, to my brain. So I think it's an important quote, particularly, you know, in the current world in which we live, we need to keep reminding people of these things. Um, it's the only way towards change, I think. 
Now you spoke a little bit before we started about short stories. Um, what, what drove you to write this series of short stories rather than jump into a novel? Good question. Good question. Um, in some ways, these have been stories I've been working on since 2009 over the years. Uh, and, and, and some of them are more recent. One of them, the, the bird story came from Australia. Um, but um, for me, looking back, writing my, my first novel uh, was brutal in a lot of ways. Like it took me six and a half years. Uh, I revised it. Well, basically, I guess the history is I'm a poet. I got an MFA, a master's in poetry like 20 years ago or whatever, and thought I was going to become a famous poet overnight, of course, because I was <laughs> like some of my characters, <clears throat> kind of absurd and ridiculous. <laughs> Didn't happen. Um, but I, I really like to edit. I love to rework a story. In a poem, you can rework the entire thing in a day. Yeah. Tried to do that with my novel again and again and again. And I don't <laughs> well, know you... good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if you know Anna Solding at Midnight Sun. Uh, she she uh, basically COVID hit and she said I'd have more time to edit because I couldn't come to Australia anyway. So I rewrote the book top to bottom like five times, like, wow. like an insane person. And at first I liked it. And by the end, I literally, it was brutal. Like mm -hmm. it was, uh, it was uh, traumatic is a hard word to say about this, but it was, it was traumatic in some ways. Mm -hmm. And I love the book and it's, it's full of my heart. And that's so different than these stories. These stories were, were much more fun while they deal with issues. It was much more like I can get in, I can do something kind of crazy and then get out and see what I did. I can edit an entire story over a couple of days. So in a lot of ways, the process to me of writing short stories is something I love. Um, so I don't know, going from here, you know, I'm, I guess I'm supposed to write another novel, but but I really, it it strikes fear into me. I, I really want, I want to write shorter things. Mm. So at, at a sort of basic level, the ability to take a piece and work it from top to bottom without killing myself, uh, you know, in terms of just energy, uh, really speaks to me. Yeah, no, I get it. I absolutely get it. You know, I've written picture books and I find that that is such a fun process because you can keep going back and forth and reworking and it doesn't wreck everything. You know, you change something in chapter four of your novel and then nothing works for the rest of the novel, you know? Yeah. So there's so much complexity to that. I did want to ask yeah. you about poetry though, because I'm, I, I love poetry and I think that's why, you know, you can probably write short stories and I do think it's why it's sort of linked to picture books as well. You know, that, that rhythm and the and etc that you do using that type of book so tell me about your love of poetry and what poet po poets or poems have resonated with you throughout your time yeah okay and I just wanted to mention because I did in one of your podcasts you talked about changing the name of a character and you know talking about a novel that's really big and doing yeah. that and I changed the name of my <gasps> bad guy my novel yeah. like four times and it was <laughs> you go through and you're like I know I've missed it yeah. I, you know it's just good luck uh, with that editing <laughs> okay, yes, okay. uh, a student ended up giving me my name I probably owe her a, a free book um so but yeah poetry um I basically I don't know what happened I thought about this like why on earth did I decide to become a poet as if that's like a career choice <laughs> um, my my dad went to college but my 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 family's house is not like full of books, particularly. I think my dad loved poetry and he did read us The Lady of Shalott. I don't know if you know mm, that poem. I yes, thought. I do. I hate to be a layman, but nowadays I'm kind of like, nah, I don't know. I'm, it's a little bit slow for me, but he loved that poem and he'd read it all the time to us when we were like seven or something. So that must have been what brainwashed me into believing that poetry was a thing. Um, but for some reason at 21, I was writing every day and I couldn't stop myself. And I graduated from college and I decided I would... Um, basically give up writing for a year 
And then if I still wanted to do it, then I was serious and I would do it. So I stopped for a year. I said, Alan, this is obsessive, just stop. Uh, and after a year, I wanted to do it. So I kept doing it. Um, and I pursued poetry. And the poet that really spoke to me, I think, was Neruda. And I had, as a junior in college, I got to study abroad. I never traveled. My family didn't travel. I never thought I would travel. I thought that was like for rich people. And uh, I ended up being able to, I got like a loan from the university and went to Spain for a year and uh, was studying Lorca, who writes kids' poetry. I mean, in some ways, his poems are like kids' books. Um, and Neruda, who's, who influenced me, you know, from Chile, but he was the poet that his, in English uh, and in some Spanish, just blew me away. And the fact that what he did, you can't really do in English. I do read Neruda in English. It translates pretty well. But it's only because you know it's in Spanish. Mm -hmm. Because it would be a little bit almost cheesy sometimes to love poems, but it works in his language. So I think he was the one who, who him and my father are both at fault for making me think <laughs> I could become, putting air quotes now, become a poet. Um, uh, yeah. And I still, I still feel like poetry is the highest art. I know that's not right, but that's my bias. I'm still like, wow, to be able to make something happen in mm -hmm. 10 lines, 15 lines, wow. That's just like, it's watching a, a weightlifter weight, lift a thousand pounds. Like you're like, it's amazing. But I did give it up in a lot of ways. I have a poetry book come out this year, but that's only because that's when it became out. I actually wrote that book 20 years ago. Wow. Uh, and then I, I, yeah, and over the years, I've, it was my it was my master's thesis or whatever. Mm -hmm. Over the years, I've published poems here and there just, to, you know, in the middle of the night, I'll submit one, I'll edit them. But it really was an old book and it was very, very personal. And I think I'm I'm 48. I'm I'm almost too old to share like that anymore. I don't I don't want to share anymore. <laughs> no, you're not. Just jump on TikTok. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. Um, I actually got an email yesterday at work from someone in the book, sort of in the book. The book's very sort of real. Uh, and luckily it was a thank you, uh, because it, I was nervous when I saw the email. Mm. Um, and so, but poetry to me, it is, it's, it's really powerful. Like when you go yeah, to a poetry okay. reading, it's powerful. I think a fiction reading can be funny and that's great. If it's funny, mm. you're happy. A poetry reading, it's, it's something else. So, uh, I think that's, I'll, I think I'll always come back to poetry. I think I'll always wish I was writing poems, but we'll probably <laughs> write short stories mostly. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I think I poems know. for me, they just contain so much in so few words and you can read them again and again and again and you can still pick up more things or more nuances or maybe you're just reflecting that upon your life, you know, and maybe that wasn't the poet's intention. So I, I used to love teaching poetry because kids could get it. It was small, wasn't a whole novel and everyone sort of had their own reading of it. So I, I just, and I love poetry being read aloud. Have you ever listened to Sylvia Plath reading her poems aloud on YouTube? I don't think I have. What I is something I else? <laughs> I have to check it out. That's yeah, I would love to. Check it out. She's just got this really dark voice and then couple that with her pretty dark poetry. It's, it's magnificent. Yeah. It will probably give you nightmares, but it's totally worth <laughs> it. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah plath is the one that's always spoken to me for some odd reason yeah there is there's a recording of yates reading the innisfree poem i shall rise and go now and oh. go to eat free and it's so performative and it's so <laughs> irish and it's so i like i like to sort of copy that sometimes that's I pretty cool rise and go now. it's just although know. if i never read the swan's poem again i'll be okay the wild swans at cool. If I, if I never yeah, yeah, read yeah. that again, I don't, I don't mind. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's a different era. It's a different... I just, I remember I, I was taught that when I was at school and then I marked it, I marked the year 12 exam and I reckon I would have marked hundreds of that. <laughs> and I was like, if I never read this poem again, 
I'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I know we've gotten a bit off track, but I was really interested in that side of um, of your writing and short stories and how they sort of sort of link to poetry. And I think we've touched on that in terms of they're they're contained and you can keep re-editing. So I really like that idea. And I think as well, poems are best read aloud, but short stories can be read aloud too, really well, right? Yeah, I've been thinking about because I'm going to Australia to do events and whatnot, and I've been thinking about how bored, easily bored I am, and I don't want to bore my audience, but it is like <laughs> to hear the reader's voice. You know? Oh, it is. It is. I love being read aloud to it. And I think everybody does because I think it's a yeah. human thing that goes way back in time from our history of storytelling. I didn't think about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because my dad did read us to bed. He read us fairy tales to bed every night. Maybe that's why I've ended up writing these sort of fable-like yeah. stories. I don't know. I love yeah, how we're having what... these revelations. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, like discovering things. It's not am I've had a lot of coffee, you know. Um, I've not been thinking about what to read because some of these pieces are very short and very like most of them are these sort of absurd love stories. But like when the editor got to a couple of them that are very short and very tonal, they're not they're not even really stories. They're technically like long prose poems. She was sort of like, "Whoa, I wasn't expecting this." In a good way, luckily. I was mm. I was worried. Um, <laughs> And some of them are quite short. So I'm thinking it would be great if I could make it through one of those in a reading without boring the audience to tears. Um, Time it. Time how long it takes to read it. And I think you'd be good. I know I'd love someone to read me a short story. When someone reads me poetry, you can do it all day. I love it. So do you have a favorite story? I want to see if it's the same as my favorite story. Oh, in my book? Yeah. Oh, in my uh, (laughs) Oh gosh, that's like that's like isn't that like picking one of your children? Yeah, <laughs> and my favorite child's always the one who's just put the kettle on, so it can change. <laughs> nice, nice. I don't have, I don't have, a, I have a kid on the way, as it turns out, but I don't have any yet, so I don't know. I don't know how that works. Um, a favorite story? Ah, oh, they're all. It's, it's funny because I put notes in the back of the book, which I, I don't know how people feel about that, but I saw Ted Ted Chiang is his name do that, and it was amazing, and so I did that because each of these stories are so different the way they came to mm-hmm. me. Um, and it's, I almost, yeah. What is my favorite story? You know, I can tell you which stories gave me a lot of trouble. I can tell you which one started <laughs> terrible. Which is, which is your favorite um, one today? It could change tomorrow. I don't mind. You're right. It's just, I just don't even know what that. Okay. Let me <laughs> look at them. I, ha- I have the table of contents here because that's the thing about short story books is like, there's so many things in there. It's like, how do you, well, you think I'll tell you mine. Yeah. Which okay. Tell me yours, what yeah. you think. I really liked The Last Tiger in the World. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Is that, is that surprising cool. to you? Or? Well, it, it only isn't because like at least two other, one reviewer and two other people have said that. Okay. And that made me really happy because it was a story that probably gave me the most trouble. Oh, I like the, that. <laughs> the most recent. Um, I literally, the book was done. And then I was like, got to write this tiger story because I'm an, because I'm a, I'm an idiot. Basically, I'm a, I'm a glutton for punishment. I'm just like, I'll just write an entire another story, even though it's done and the deadline's now. Um, and originally, it was a story that was, so I teach experimental writing. So I was a creative writing professor in the States. Then out of economic desperation and no job, I came to Norway, and they don't have creative writing here at the university. So I had to reinvent myself. So now, sneakily, I teach experimental writing, and that way the students for purely academic reasons, must do experimental writing to explore process when they study modernism. So they get to do creative writing. Um, And so I make up these prompts and a lot of them come from surrealism. And one of the surrealist prompts that I sort of modified 
was to take an object and to transform it a bunch of times. So the original structure was take a tiger and do absurd things to that tiger. And that was it. So it was a very sort of, it was like a one page yeah. story that turned into weird things and it was done. Yeah. Okay. It didn't make any sense. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I was excited by it. I was excited by it. What if I tried to make this a good story? Mm. So it was actually I like the I idea had. of that transformation of the tiger because that's sort of, it was just a story that stuck with me. So when I say it was my favorite story, it was just a story that kept bouncing around in my head. And, you know, I was like, what is this story about? You know, what is it? at different levels what is this story about and so yeah i like the transformation um idea in that because the tiger did transform a couple of times right until the end <laughs> yeah yeah and i love i love stories that that will do this to me like um uh, lydia malay does this to me where you are kind of struggling you know you're in good hands but you're also like what is this story about am i supposed to like this person is this the hero wait wait or is this the bad you know where it's sort of it's, it's setting us off kilter and I still am a pretty traditional reader. I still kind of want the end of the story to do something like, you know, a little bit finishing. So it's not totally experimental. Um, but with that one sort of playing with, you know, in some ways, the last tiger in the world is, is sad. Like that's a sad notion. Yeah, that is. I wanted to be a story about like, that wasn't really the centerpiece. The centerpiece was much more. And by the end, it was much more about this girl who becomes a woman and her mother who disappears both from the story and from the story story, like from the text. So we kind mm. of forget about her. And so the real story is kind of hovering in the background uh, and we never really quite get all the pieces of that. So it sort of haunts what mm. we get. I think haunting um, is a good word and that's why it was bouncing around in my head. And I thought it was a story about loss and how, I think how, how bad we are at dealing with loss. And so you'd rather cover up with a terrible lie than deal with loss. And I thought yeah. how, how reflective that is our, of our culture. You know, we're not very good at saying goodbye to people. And I don't, I don't know if anyone is, but I think particularly um, we'd never prepare ourselves. And we don't want to because we want to live in the moment. We don't want to project too far. But that's what really spoke to me about it was that making those decisions to so you don't have to feel something that you probably need to feel. Yeah, that's, I think that's a good way to put it. And in some ways that's also what the humor is doing. I mean, I like to say the humor is opening up the reader to laugh so that they can actually then take on a, a perspective that's hard for them. But it's also me. And like my, my novel was basically about someone who loses the entire world, which in some ways was how I felt moving to Norway. Like at that time period, mm. uh, I was like an addict by myself in this dark country trying to make ends meet. Um, and this book in some ways is doing, you know, it's, 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 it's sad in its way. It's nostalgic. Mm, it's a picture of lost things. But that's covered up in some ways by humor. I don't even know if that's a good thing, but sometimes we cover that up or we get through it by by making a joke out of it. Well, I think it's important uh, humor because I think if it's I think it actually highlights the darkness more. Because if you're juxtaposing humor with darkness, I think the darkness actually becomes heavier in some way because it's not just all dark. And then you're laughing at then you're questioning, should I be laughing at this? <laughs> you know, so I actually think dark humor is is a really good way to um to present really serious issues. And when you just said there the books about losing your world, I think when you're a kid, losing your mother is losing your world. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it's yeah, it was uh... It's funny. I'm I'm actually happy that, that it speaks to people, and not just for the fact that they're sad about tigers, uh, because we still have tigers left. You know, of course, that's we're still got a chance. Um, but um, but yeah. Anyway, mm, you could write an essay about this because you can also say, you know, I, I was interested about how can you change or not? Like, is a scorpion always a scorpion? And that was, you know, when I saw the tiger. I don't want to give too much away, <laughs> but you know, 
gets its breakfast, just thinks, oh, this is breakfast. Um, and I'm, I like the idea of sometimes nature is just more powerful, you know, no matter if you try and domesticate something or get to know something, sometimes nature is just too powerful. Right, right. Even even with the radical changes that, uh, mm. that go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are some <laughs> radical changes. Even surprised me. A, in the original version, there was a couple more changes that were even more. <laughs> it was just basically the editor on some of the stories said, Alan, uh, okay, we need two, two or three less of these things that happen. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I'll take them out. <laughs> it's um, always easier, I think, that to pair things back, though, than to go, you need a lot more in here. Nothing's happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I always I like the idea of having an editor who I write a bunch of stuff and they just say this is good and I just throw everything else away. Yeah, yeah. And I think being a writer and I love that about writers is just don't hold your words too loosely and know which hills to die on. I mean, we all have the hills to die on, but I think we also need to trust those editors and those publishers and those people who is, you know, they work every day and you know, it's hard because they're our words, but I think we need to trust sometimes and just go, okay. I'll hold them loosely and maybe they'll find their home one day or not. Yeah, I literally now, if I really like something, if I go, ooh, that's, oh man, you're smart, Alan. I almost always, I'm like, okay, that's terrible. That's probably needs to be, <laughs> if, you are, if you think it's really genius, it's probably not. If you, if you go, oh, oh, that makes, that works. That's solid. Then it might be good. Yeah, it's um, funny, isn't it? Like, yeah. Oh, this is a really funny line. The editor goes, you can remove yeah. this. I'm like, really? That was like a really <laughs> funny line. Maybe just to me, turns out. <laughs> Constantly turning back. <laughs> How does your work at the university and your environment currently in Norway impact your writing? Well, this is probably, it's, it's an interesting question because I did say about my novel and losing my world, but that was sort of in some ways metaphorical, whatever. Uh, I mean, I, I did sort of lose my world, but it, I didn't think of that when I wrote the book. I just wrote, I wanted to take some characters and see what happened. Um, but in this book, I, there are a couple of stories in here which are very much about Norway. And I originally tried to not make them. I tried to make it some cold northern place, but place names snuck into some of the stories, et cetera. Um, and it's funny because I didn't expect this to happen. I didn't expect my life to be where it is. I didn't mm -hmm. expect to, to end up in Norway. And now I'm probably here for for a long time, if not forever. Um, I have said that if I if I'm on my deathbed, I'm in Norway. I'm going to hire a helicopter to take me away to a sunny place, uh, <laughs> which is sort of <laughs> whatever kind of ending for me. Um, but a couple of stories, I really, you know, I think the culture here it's interesting, and I don't want to get too much into talking about Norway. But when I arrived here, I got the job last second. I was, it was a long, complex story, but I was an adjunct in America. I was very comfortable. I had a very fancy adjunct job, but it was an adjunct job. And one day it was no job and the job market was over. So I got last second, I look around the world so I could pay my rent. And I was like, oh, this looks like a cute town, Norway. Okay. So I didn't have much time to do research or anything. And I probably would have come anyway. And when I got here, it's, you know, it's, it's a country that can seem like America. It, it's uh, people speak English, uh, blah, blah, blah. So I got here and I thought, okay, this is kind of the same. And it's it's really not. It's um it's the culture here is is very different, especially than California, especially than Australia. I mean, I think Australia in general is more like California. It's very open and very uh, courteous, you know, uh, please, thank you, uh, friendly, open, that kind of thing. And Norwegian culture is just very different. It's not bad, but it's very different. And I realized that I'm an old dog. I, I didn't think I'd become an old dog, but I'm an old dog. And these new tricks. I, I like I like the way my people are. I really do. And I didn't realize that. And this is right before Trump got elected. And so it kind of gave me perspective of, wow, even a lot of Americans seem crazy, but also I kind of, I don't know, I feel for them. Like I kind of, <laughs> I 
they're kind of sweet. I mean, they might be wrong, but they're kind of sweet. So some of these stories kind of take that on. And I think I, what I really tried to do was not to have bitterness in those stories, but instead try to find the humor uh, and the way out. And for example, one character is a Norwegian who, who is basically, who doesn't fit in, who doesn't quite fit into the repressive culture here, the sort of you know social conformity. And what does he do? And so I sort of had a fun exploring this character who's kind of like me here uh, and seeing what happens. And then at the end of that story, there's a reversal. So we, I don't want to give it away. We have this reversal so that we are actually the other character in the story. Um, uh, but I think that story, is, I mean, I can look at the, the table of contents there, you know, since when did the beach get so crowded where a girl realizes that her fishing village is killing fish? Cause that's what you do. Um, a couple of those stories are really influenced by this. And actually, before I forget, since when did the beach get so crowded? It literally was a day in Norway. I was early on. I was I was relatively lonely. It was super dark. It was raining, and I just walked around the town and looked at street art. We have the street art festival, so there's lots of amazing street art. And I just wrote a story in my head with all the street art. So all the characters in that story are basically paintings um, in my town, and one's a sculpture. And I just smashed them all together and wrote a story in my head. And then I got home, of course, I hadn't written it down and I tried to write the story and had a hard time. <laughs> um, so that one's kind of directly me wandering around, trying to use creativity to escape uh, or to deal with a sense of loneliness personally. Mm. Um, I'm not still there, so don't worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't particularly hear. like the culture, but it's, but I'm okay. Don't, don't worry actually, about it. I actually wanted to ask you, and you said you, you want to get a helicopter in your deathbed to take you somewhere sunny. What is the temperature there right now? So today's really cool. It actually, I live on the coast, so it's always raining, which is what I don't like. I love rain, but not here. Not um, but always. Now, yeah, today it's, today it's icy. Today you can't ride a motorcycle. Ooh. It's uh, it's icy. I scrape the steps off. Ooh. So, um, yeah, but it's mostly, I don't mind cold. It's are we talking the minuses or what are we talking? You know, that's a great, it must be because it's frozen out there. But Ooh. typically because it's the coast, it actually doesn't get that cold there. Like okay. we, winter here is about zero or, or, okay. or, or plus because we're coastal you know it's not like oslo um yeah. it's just the, it's the incessant i could check that the and so it in, was frozen wow so in winter in sydney i'm whinging when it's 18 degrees i'm like what it's so cold <laughs> <laughs> okay that sounds great that sounds amazing you got, you got any jobs there you got a good job for me <laughs> i remember i went to holland to visit my cousins and it was 18 degrees and she's like let's go to the beach i'm like why <laughs> yeah yeah summer here is 20 okay. so 18 is a beach day. Yeah, right now it's two degrees, but it feels like negative three. Wow. And uh, it might be, my phone thinks it's snowing, but it's definitely not. That would be not, <laughs> no, I love that. Smartphones, moderately smartphones. Oh, on the <laughs> oh okay. Oh. That's interesting. Just ice. Bummer. Yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah, well, I'm always interested in where people are and how that's different to, yeah. to where I am. I've, I've traveled a bit, never been to Norway, so I'll put it on the list, I think. Yeah, I should, I should say. It's great to visit. I, even with my, with all my, do you guys say whinging? I don't even know what that means. Anyway, with all my complaining, um, it's uh, it's beautiful to visit, and the people are very kind and very and very good people. It's just a very different culture. If you're coming to Australia, take your uh, t-shirt and shorts if you still have any, because you'll need it. <laughs> I'm very I'm very excited. I'm uh, I'm excited. not about the flight. The flight's brutal. Flight's uh, pretty but, long. Uh, yeah, European flight. Yeah. <laughs> it is pretty brutal. Uh, question I ask all my guests at the end of an interview. Nice, easy one. Why do you write? Why do I write? Oh, gosh. Is that an easy one? <laughs> it's <laughs> not. <laughs> it's funny because I think I how, – how long do I have? Ten seconds? <laughs> I, I, um, I started out writing in college. I wrote music on guitar, like poems, and I'd sing them. 
And I think for some reason, I thought words could change the world. I thought they were really powerful. I don't know why I thought that. That was the Neruda period. Um, and then I realized how bad those poems were at some point. <clears throat> and um, when I was 29, I'd been writing for about nine years, traveling the world. I'd been living in Asia. And I realized that I needed to maybe go to school and maybe like talk to some people who did this thing. And so I went to school for writing and that was it for a while. Um, then I was desperate to try to make a career in writing. So I, I was churning out writing and trying to publish everything I touched, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I'm really happy that's, I guess, over. I still am supposed to do that, but I just am so mm -hmm. tired of it. Um, so now I've actually stopped writing, I, to be honest. Since I finished this book, and it wasn't brutal, but it was a lot of work. I have been writing academic stuff and interesting, you know, sort of stuff like that, but not creatively. Uh, I think I burned myself out. So mm. I, I probably I sometimes you need a rest though, but I think it's okay. Cause I think it takes so much, like you use the word trauma before, it does take so much of a different type of brain power that I think after you do write something, I think, I think you need that sort of brain space to have a rest. I don't know. That's yeah. I hope so. Otherwise, I'm doing something bad. <laughs> if I'm not writing. Um, I, did, I did edit something the other day. I can still sort of edit. but um, And I came up with a story, but I just, it's I literally, I think I'm a little bit shell-shocked. I think I need like a year off mm. to do other kinds of, you know, maybe dig a hole in the garden that I don't have. Uh, <laughs> it scrapes some ice um, off the stairs. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the last year, I had three books come out. And I had to finish all three, even though some of them were mostly written. And I think it was, I think it's been too much for me. Yeah. yeah. No, I think, I think writing, I think is an exhausting process. And that's why, you know, I'm not fortunate enough to be, but if I was a full-time writer, I don't think I could do it for six hours anyway. You know, I think you do it for an hour and a half or two hours. And I think, okay, my brain just cannot, cannot do this anymore. I need to dig a hole. <laughs> not that I dig many holes. <laughs> <laughs> I have a grass plot in the backyard, but it's pretty, it's pretty cold and icy back there. So I, <laughs> I can't imagine. Well, thank you so much, Alan. This turned into um, quite the conversation. Um, so I'm happy about that. Whenever I can, you know, bring out those nerdy classics, I always, you know, slip them in where I can. <laughs> so... yes, make it sound smart. Make it sound smart. <laughs> It's been a while since I've been in the classroom, but you never forget. <laughs> so thank you so much. I really enjoyed Big Weird Lonely Hearts and uh, particularly the story that kept bouncing around in my head, The Last Tiger in the World. But, you know, they're all very absurd. They're all a little bit odd. Um, they did take me back to my love of uh, the metamorphosis. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see what responses you get because I think, I think this is a book where people are going to have very different and personal responses to. So I find that interesting as well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to see see what people think. And welcome to Australia next week. I'm very excited. I, I have stuff to do before then, but uh, but I'm 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 ready. I'm ready to <laughs> ready to be warm. Yeah, good stuff. Enjoy it. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>